You ask me if tailoring is important. It's important for men and women, particularly men. Why? Because whenever you buy anything off the rack, it never fits your body perfectly. Like say, for example, I'm a 40-42 regular jacket. I'm a 34 waist, 32 inseam. Like I know my measurements, right? So if I go to a store and buy a jacket, it may fit me, but I still need to bring it to a tailor so that they can tailor it to my body. Everyone's body is different. Some men may have broad shoulders. Some men may have a little gut. Everyone's body is different. So you have to adjust for those nuances. And that's why you go to a tailor. Because if you don't, then it's just not going to fit properly. And it's going to look sloppy. And I've seen so many men, the sleeve length is too long, or they didn't bother to get the pants hemmed. And you have this excess fabric, and it just does not look good. And so tailoring is essential. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to a Fashion Moment podcast. Whether you're a fashion lover or just fashion curious, welcome. I literally love bringing you one-on-one interviews week after week with your fashion favorites. I get inspired every time, and I hope you do too. This podcast is not sponsored, and all of us here are freely giving our time because we all believe in this and we love it. I would love to continue this great work and bring you even more content, exclusive features, and live events in the years ahead. If you love the podcast or just want to support, buy me a coffee. Yes, a coffee. You can visit buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment to become a fashion friend for one coffee a month, $5, or click the support tab to grab any amount you'd like. Again, that's buymeacoffee.com slash a fashion moment. Thank you for supporting us. Now on to the show. Born and raised to Jamaican parents in Springfield, Massachusetts, stylist, on-air personality, and creative director Carlton Spence always knew that fashion was his calling. From an early age, Carlton recreated high fashion looks for himself and loved ones. He would later launch his decades-long fashion career in the buying offices of Jordan Marsh, and Lord & Taylor department stores. Spence eventually took a position as a marketing manager in Boston with Merite et Francois Gerbeau, propelling his career into visual merchandising where he discovered his ultimate calling as a stylist. Carlton would later emerge as one of the top stylists on the gospel scene, working with artists like Byron Cage, Ricky Dillard, Hezekiah Walker, Shirley Caesar, and so many more. Spence has dedicated additional time as an educator in his current role as a fashion merchandising professor at LIM College, where he shares his expertise in styling, merchandising, and the fashion business. In this episode, I sat down with Carlton to discuss his career journey, the importance of looking the part, the impact of fashion in the gospel industry, and what it takes to make an artist look their best. Check it out. Welcome, Carlton Spence, to a fashion moment. I am so thrilled to have you on the show because you, you know, you've always been such an inspiration to me, you know, taking time to, you know, 
Carlton would come in and do his polls and we would have chats and, you know, just hang out and, and talk, you know, when he had a moment because he, he was always very busy and still is, but, you know, it's just all the stories and words of encouragement and, you know, Carlton and I, you know, we we're, we're church folks, you know, black, the black church, like that is, that is us. So the very fiber of who I am. <laughs> The fiber, you know, so that's why the subtitle of this episode, I had already, I, I, when I talked to you, I was like, I've decided it is the gospel according to Carlton. And I'm so excited to have you here. So I love it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So let's start from the very beginning. Um, Where are you from and where did you grow up? Okay. So I was born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, both of my parents are Jamaican. My dad is deceased, but my mom is still here. She just turned 81, actually. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts. However, I was raised by Jamaican parents and anyone who was West Indian. <laughs> uh, I was raised with an, I wouldn't say an iron fist because I wasn't beat when I was a child, but I, it was a very strict household, mm. very strict. Uh, we had our chores. I went to private school. Uh, wow, I didn't know that. I went to private school. I went to Catholic wow. school from first grade to eighth grade. And then wow. for high school, my mom gave me the option to finally go to a public school. And I went to classical high school, which was a college preparatory. Oh, uh, wow. High school, which is now turned into condominiums, actually. Wow. I was the last graduating class, actually, before they turned the building into condominiums, actually. Wow. Yeah. So, born and raised in Springfield. Uh, How did you, like, were you into fashion, like, when you were growing up? Like, what was your first experience? Or you were like, yes, yes, yes. You know, so funny you asked that. Yes, I was always into fashion. I remember my mom... I was a husky child. Okay. So it was a little, I won't say portly husky. So I was, yeah. a, a, you know, chubby. Yeah, you got muscles too. Yeah. And so, um, my mom used to buy me Sears tough skins. I know I'm going way back now. No, no. I, act, I actually remember that. But you remember the tough skin jeans? <laughs> no. And so, uh, but I remember for church, my mom would uh, shop at this, this specialty store called Anderson Little. And it was a men's specialty store. And I just remember her, you know, getting like my Navy blazer. So it was really my mom who kind of shaped who, not who I was. It was kind of my mom who showed me the importance of buying quality clothing. Mm. Let's just say mm. that. And I remember at 11 years old saying to her, can I buy my own clothes? And she was like, well, when you get a job, you can buy your own clothes. So when I turned 15, <laughs> so, uh, at 14 years old, I got a job as a registrar at the girls wow. and boys club that I used to, it was an after school program. And I got a job you know, uh, logging in the memberships or whatever at 14 years old. And I started buying my own clothes. I remember there was a store called Chess King. That's where I would get my casual clothes from. Uh, was very popular in the 80s. And uh, I have been buying my clothes <laughs> ever since I was 14 years old. His closet is like a museum, you guys. And it's like impeccably taken care of. Like Carlton does not play those games. But, you know... You mentioned like, you know, shopping for clothes, like when you were younger for church, yes. you know, we, we have to pause on this for a second. 
was Easter Sunday for you growing up as big of a deal as it still is in the Black church? Absolutely. Easter Sunday in the Baptist church was everything. You know, you look forward to Easter Sunday just like the first day of school because you knew you were in a brand new outfit. Yeah. So, including shoes. So, yes. Sunday was <laughs> And don't be in the choir. We, we Were you in the choir, Carlton? I think I, I was in the like children's choir. Like the kids' choir? choir yeah, the was, children's yeah, I was choir. in the children's choir. Like the kids' let choir. Me, let me tell you, Carlton. I don't know if this happened at your church, but first, obviously, loved, loved, loved Easter Sunday. It was just like the best day of the year. And, you know, getting the hair done, you can get it done like an adult, get your little curls to the side or whatnot. But the thing about being in the choir that was insane was everyone choosing the colors. What are, what are the uh-huh. color combinations that we are going to wear for the Later. Easter concert? Yeah. And the, the combinations, like one year it was, it was like everyone votes and it was like peach and cream. And it's like, how am I going to find peach and cream right. when it's like not on trend right now? So, you know, we're in pay less looking. It's like, oh, we can dye the shoes. We can yeah. do this. Like, <laughs> did you have that experience oh, at all? No, we, it wasn't that intense at the <laughs> I went to we just wore what our parents bought us yeah uh, we weren't doing the whole color coordinated thing <laughs> uh when the uh, the young adult choir and the adult choir they just wore robes it was a very it was a church uh. wore robes it wasn't church was a fashion show it was about the women wearing the big hats yes but there's a difference between the baptist church and an apostolic Pentecostal church that I now attend. There's a that's, big, that's what I grew up in. There you go. So <laughs> there's a huge difference. So yeah. um, when I moved to New York in April of 1996, I joined uh, the Love Fellowship uh, Tabernacle, uh, the Kingdom Church, which is uh, which Bishop Hezekiah Walker, who was not a bishop then, but is a bishop now. Yeah. Uh, I joined that church in 1996. And have been a member, have been a member ever since. We're gonna get there because yeah, we need yeah. a full rundown of one of my favorite looks of yours of all time. My gosh, which is the cape that you had made. Oh, but we're gonna we're gonna yeah. go we're gonna okay, go we'll get, get into there. that later. But starting with your early life, who were some okay. of your your fashion and style inspirations? Like, were you reading the magazines? Were you were you looking at what folks were wearing on the street? Like. How did how did that come to you? Okay, so like who was it? Was it Grace? So well, it's funny that you say that because I I remember reading I would read GQ magazine mm-hmm. uh, as a young man. Um, I should say as a kid actually. I, re- I read GQ magazine and Vogue, uh, and I remember. And I guess I was styling back then. Like what I would do is I would see a look in a magazine and I would dissect it and say, okay, how can I recreate this look for myself? And, you know, I was working at the time I was 14, 15. So I literally, my sister still reminds me to this day. I was very preppy back then, very Mm -hmm. clean cut. You know, the jeans had to be, they weren't creased, but they had to, everything was just so I had the card, the eyes, the Lacoste cardigan that matched the, if I had a pink Lacoste cardigan, it would match the pink socks. <gasps> and I would have a pink Oxford shirt. Like I was already doing mono, dressing monochromatically and didn't even know it at the time with penny loafers. And penny loafers were my staple in black and in cordovan. 
Love. Uh, play. And of course the belt smash. But anyway, um, <laughs> so what I would do is I would look in a magazine and, and, and take those pieces like, and, and for example, there was this sweater vest. I'll never forget. It was this gray cable sweater vest. And I just looked all over the city for, it, and I finally found one very similar. I paid $70 for that vest. And my sister was like, you were crazy. Like she, like $70 was a lot. Yeah. Then, and it still is a lot now for a sweater yeah. vest. Right. She remembered how much it cost. So I, at that, so thinking back, I didn't care how much anything cost. If mm. I wanted it, I was going to get it. Amen. And, and so and that's <laughs> how it's my style was formed or shaped or molded, I should say, by reading the magazines because wow. I didn't know what a stylist was at 14 and 15 years old. I was living in Springfield, Massachusetts. I there weren't any fashion schools. There weren't there was no internet. So my inspiration came from going to the mall and reading magazines, to be honest. Wow. With you. Oh, wow. uh, I can tell you what changed my life, though. Ebony Fashion Fair. Really? Yes. So as a fundraiser, uh, I mentioned that I went to a boys and girls club. They would do they would bring the Ebony Fashion Fair to Springfield Symphony Hall every year. Wow. For the first time, I think I was about I think I was like ninth grade or 10th grade. It forever left the most indelible impression on me. I'll never forget the host. Her name was Shayla Simpson. Her face was beat. She sat like <laughs> so. She sat in a <laughs> chair at the, at the left-hand side of the stage and did commentary that they do not do anymore. No. These models, although it may be called campy, if you will, mm-hmm. or theatrical modeling, if you will, but they really showed the clothes. Like, mm. I mean, I never saw a dress that was a mini skirt, and then all of a sudden the model shimmies and it becomes a gown. And all of the, and then, you know, this model has a cape on and then she, she twirls the next thing, you know, it's reversible. And I'm like, oh my God, I was in awe, in complete awe. And I was like, okay, that is what I want to do. Wow. So I want to be in fashion. And so that was a pivotal moment for me seeing that I had never saw couture clothes in real life before. Wow. Wow. So that was, that was a, a turning point for me. Them. Thank you, Ebony. Yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Back. They need to bring stuff like that yes. back. Oh my gosh. Right? Do, like, I wish they could do some sort of anniversary or something and do like yeah. a 10 city tour or something. It would be amazing. I'm like, hey, Marielle. Hey, Miss Marielle Bobo. That's She's been really on the good. show. That's a really good idea. Like... I need, someone needs to, I need to get in her ear back. Listen, I need to re- you guys need to reinvent that because that was genius. No one was wow, doing that yeah. at the time. Nope. No. no doing that. No, especially for black people. For black people and exposing us to couture. In such and a beautiful fashion, way. In such a classy and beautiful way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you end up in New York? Oh wow. Okay. How did that happen? All right. So I have to go down the timeline, but I'm not gonna bore you. I'll be I'll be quick. So <laughs> I graduated, I went to University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And I have to mention, while I was there, I studied fashion marketing. However, there wasn't a really strong, there wasn't a fashion design program there. Mm -hmm. But I had, so, but I knew how to sew. I taught, I was self-taught. 
how I taught myself how to sew. My grandmother used to sew. My mom used to sew. My sister used to sew. She sewed at the Boys and Girls Club. They taught the girls how to sew. And of course, the boys had to be on the boys' side playing pool. It was so stereotypical now that I think of it. It was such a an environment now that I think back on it it was such a stereotypical environment where you had literally had the boy side and the girl side. Wow. Why was there a boy side and a girl side? And why on the boy side were there pool tables and bumper pool tables? And on the girl side, they're learning how to cook and how to sew and they have arts and crap. Like yeah. when I think about that, I'm like, wow, that's so conditioning, societal conditioning. Yeah. Yes. But guess who was always on the girl side? Uh-oh. Me. Uh-oh. So I was the one excelling in arts and crafts and, and taking sewing classes. And I remember watching my grandmother make a shirt for me. Uh, it was like a gingham uh, fabric, this brown gingham fabric. I'll never forget it. Seersucker fabric. I mean. Oh, And yeah. um, she cut it with no, she cut the pieces with no pattern. I swear to you, and made the shirt. And I was amazed. So you know what I did? I took a pair of shorts. I took a seam ripper and ripped it apart. And I created my own pattern and made my own pair of shorts with a zipper and pockets. And it was pleated. Stop. 14 years old. So I made my first prom gown at 14 and charged the girl $50. (laughs) Stop it. Annual (laughs) and borrow pattern. So wow. how did I get into? The question was... How New York. New York. New York. Okay. University of Massachusetts. I graduated in May of 1989. So now I'm telling my age. And so again, I mentioned there wasn't a fashion design program. However, what I did, I took it upon myself as a sophomore to do a fashion show. Wow. I had to petition the different student organizations for money. Uh, we held it in the student union. It was well received so much. So my senior year, I did another show, but this time we had a hair show. We went to the Hampshire. We had a, we got the, we got, uh, this black hairstylist involved. We had a mini hair show. Um, our only outlet was Hampshire mall. And if you're familiar with Amherst, Massachusetts, you already know <laughs> what we're dealing with. I still have the VHS tapes. So I say that to say that the D I got a three credit independent study I got three independent study credits for doing the show the senior year because that's how large it became. Wow. That I left at the University of Massachusetts were those shows. Um, And I made the wedding gowns. And my friend Yvette Russell, she was my muse. And to this day, we're still friends. And she lives in Holland as well. So Mm -hmm. um, how did I get to New York? I, I majored in fashion marketing, went to Jordan Marsh, did an internship there, became a retail buyer, Wait, a buyer where? What? What is this? Okay, so you, you know this is. I know it's a lot. Um, before, before you know, yeah, some of our times. Like, can yeah, you describe exactly. what it so, is? So there was a store. There was a department called a department store called Jordan Marsh, a chain of stores located in the Northeast in Boston. Okay, and like the surrounding towns in Boston, Jordan Marsh is no longer. Filene's is no longer either. They were across the street from each other. Wow. I did an internship in downtown crossing. I did an internship my senior year when I was placed, they gave you three, they gave you a a choice of three choice, your first, second, and third choice. Mm -hmm. I didn't get my first choice, which was Boston. I think I got my second or third choice, which was Waterford, Connecticut. I almost, I thought I was going (laughs) to, I thought 
my <laughs> coming to an end. So no I, shade to Connecticut. No shade. No shade to Connecticut. <laughs> so I was a sales manager there for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got moved to Trumbull, Connecticut. And I was on the sell because you had to be on the selling floor before you went to the buying office. And I was like, you know what? This selling floor nonsense, I hate it. <laughs> They make you do the same. Well, they used to make you do the same thing for Bloomingdale's as well. You had to do both the floor and yes. and buying before you could even go into buying. Oh, it's the buying office. You have to be on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Hated it. Um, <laughs> say hated it. I mean, there were I I was supervising a, a women who were literally old enough to be my mom, and it was so mm. funny because I gained their respect just by being respectful and respecting them because yeah. they were old enough to be my mom, and they're probably like, "Well, who is this kid? He just graduated from college, and he's telling us right." Things. <laughs> our schedule seriously it was a little it was a little intimidating yeah. but they became my moms and I loved them um so after leaving so that was like 90 1990 okay fast forward or rewind um after living in New Haven Connecticut mind you I was working in the Trumbull shopping park and living in New Haven Connecticut and there was a town called Fairhaven. And I was like, this town is not big enough for me. I, I can't. So I moved to Little Ferry, New Jersey and got, a, got accepted into the assistant buyer executive training program at Lord & Taylor. Yes. What? Yeah. I never knew. Yeah. Yes. You yeah. never said anything. Yes. yes. So I got placed, So I got placed in a five department buying office of two it was two assistant buyers i was the second assistant Mm -hmm. but i had the buyer from hell the buyer yeah in there it was was devil time it was the devil wears prada times 10 i was it was to the point where i was i I felt like i could i didn't even have a voice i felt like I, i i this she had me so intimidated and so scared that i was afraid to ask questions so all the while, she's now telling human resources that I'm incompetent, that I'm not doing my job. And meanwhile, she wasn't teaching me. I was just analyzing the best and slow sellers. That's all I did. My I cannot confirm mind. nor deny that I, I that I relate. I will never say her name. I will exactly, never say no, her name. But thank God that that happened. You know why? Yeah. Because this person's name, I will say, there was a buyer. Her name was Diane Kopke. And thank mm. God for her. She goes, Carlton, all the buyers see what you're going through. Um, I got put on probation. I got, I literally got fired after six months. Wow. And I was devastated because it was my, my career aspiration to become a buyer. And livelihood. Yeah. My livelihood. And I was crushed. I was crushed. I was like, well, what am I going to do? Were there other black buyers or were you? There were two. There was myself and another African-American male Mm-hmm. Or in the system buying the the training program. I don't remember ever. I don't remember any African American women in the program. Maybe there were, but I know there were only two of us. Wow. Mm-hmm. He ended up staying. Um, and so, and he's super smart. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, Diane said to me, "Hey, uh, my boyfriend works for a company called Jabot Jeans. They're hiring retail marketers, and so I'm going to put you in touch with him." So got an interview. Wow. However, the 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 caveat of it all, I had to move to Boston. Wow. So I was like, oh God, I don't want to move to Boston. I was like, I just moved to New York. I just moved to New York yeah. in a year. And so I was young. I was like, you know what? 
Why not? Jabot, Maritain Francois, Jabot Jeans was the hot. Um, yes. That's why I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. So, but it became one of the, one of the most, not only was the job fun, but I was able to be creative. I was able to create my own events. So I took that experience from doing fashion shows in college to actually doing fashion shows, grass, grassroots shows at like BU uh, with the students doing an after party, like all kinds of really fun events. So, and then I traveled to New York at the time, every six weeks, stayed at the Paramount Hotel, (gasps) had an expense expense account, had a Hmm. look at God. Right. So I was balling. I mean, I remember, I wish I would have still saved my business card because I I proudly handed out my business cards, which opened many doors, mind you. Wow. So I was a retail marketer for them for about two years, two and a half years until they laid all of us off when the sales became soft. Yeah. So here I am um, in Boston, no job. So I got, I had to get another job. I got a job as a sales sales service associate for Ked Sneakers. And I literally would go into the back room and count the sneakers mm-hmm. counter, this big like soup. And I was just mortified. I was like, I can't do this. So simultaneously got a part-time job with Banana Republic uh, after literally maybe a month or two, they were like, you're very meticulous. And would you like to go into visual merchandising? I had never dressed a mannequin, <laughs> but guess where the position was? This is why I knew it was God. Guess where the position was that they offered me? Where? Long Island. Stop it. I you mean, know, can we just pause for a second? Because uh, I think people really need to, to hear this. You know, here you are like work, you know, your, your assistant buying, but then you're also working for one of the hottest brands of of the time. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself on the retail floor. Right. That, that, that major shift Mm -hmm. can be hard. Absolutely. But you know what guys, it happens and it's, oh, Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been there several times, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, living my high life in New York and then moving to DC, trying to get my life together mm-hmm. on the selling floor of cusp in Georgetown. What's up ladies made some really great friends and even ran into someone that was also a buyer back in New York. And that's Uh-oh. how I knew it was just, it's like, Oh my God. Like, Oh, oh you're here too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's Okay. It's and okay. even like the president of Lord and Taylor, or she, she was the president mm-hmm. um, or she became the president. I like, I was just helping a woman with some shoes and she had a New York accent. And I was like, I love New York. Oh my God. Oh my God. And she's like, Oh, where, where'd you work? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, I was in the fashion office at Lord and Taylor. I'm like on the floor with the shoes. Right. And uh, she's like, Oh my God, you must know my best friend, Liz Rod Bell. And she called her text her. Right. Like, Oh my. And then she was like, Hey, like Kirsten. Yeah. She worked at, she's like, Oh yeah. She said she's coming tomorrow. And I was like, what? No, she's not. No, she's not. Cause she was in town uh-huh. with her daughter. Who's looking at colleges. Uh-huh. And I tell you the next day she was, I heard a Kirsten and I was like, ah, she's a very oh distinct my. voice. Uh-huh. And she just bought all of this stuff and, you know, you get commission and right. just like, you know, you were so great and just like very reaffirming things. But it's like when you're on the floor and you're starting from the bottom again, you yeah. can question yourself. You can question, Absolutely. where am I in life? Why am I here? I, I 
used to be like, God, why? Oh, why? absolutely. Absolutely. What was that like for you? Like, like, oh, how did you gosh. make the emotional and spiritual transition to be okay? Well, in okay. That space? I, I had an aha moment. Um, when I was living in Boston, this at the time I was working, it was probably I was six months in at working for Ked Sneakers as mm-hmm. a, the, the, the position was a sales service associate. The highlight of that that job, I went to Scottsdale, Arizona for a sales meeting. Mm. And I traveled a little bit. That was the highlight. Okay, fast forward. I'm on Newberry Street. And I swear to you, God, I said to God, I said, if Newberry Street is the Fifth Avenue of Boston, this one street, if this is it, if this is the high end, this is the creme de la creme, Mm. I got to go because I'm bigger than this. My destiny is bigger than Boston. So, uh, that is when, uh, and I, okay. So that is when I was still working part-time with, with, uh, uh, Banana Republic. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got offered the job. Six months later, I was gone and I relocated back to New York. So you see how things work out. If I didn't work, if I didn't work at Banana Republic, I would have, I don't know if I would have, if I would still be in Boston, my career path would have been would not yeah. have been what it is now. You understand? Wow. So uh, fast forward, working for Banana Republic for about two years. I mean, anyone who's done visual merchandising, it's 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 a very physical job. You're climbing yeah. ladders, you're painting walls, you're schlepping mannequins, you're, you're steaming clothes. It's a lot of work. But guess what? It's preparing you to be a stylist. You're styling. You're styling wow. mannequins. And so I took that experience, got recruited by Brooks Brothers, uh, worked for Brooks Brothers for six additional years wow. doing visual merchandising, doing the job of three people. That is when I got disgruntled. Mm. Now I was like, okay, I'm doing the job of literally three people. Yeah. Okay. Um, and my counterpart who was working at Fifth Avenue was getting paid triple that I was getting paid. Wow. And when I heard that I approached my boss. They gave me a $12,000 raise, big whoop. I was like, you know what? <laughs> uh, After six years. Yeah. Yeah. Big whoop, right. And so, uh, I, how I got into styling, I'll tell you my break. So I was working at Banana Republic at the time. My sister and I decided to take photographs in my apartment in Queens, right? So I meet mm-hmm. this photographer who lived in Brooklyn. He says, Carlton, uh, I have the proofs or the images, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, select. But I want you to meet me in Queens at my friend Lisa's house. He was dating her at the time. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> like, why do I have to go to Queens, Colin? I don't know her. Right. So somehow we get on the topic of styling and what I do. And I told her I was in visual merchandising, but I'm dying to be a stylist. I said, I have great personal style and I know I'd be great at it. She goes, well, we don't hire assistant stylists, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. There's a bridal show in Willowbrook, New Jersey. I'm going to have you shadow the stylist. I never do this, but just, to, just so you can see... Uh, you know, behind the scenes, what happens. Wow. I get a call two days before the show. She goes, Carlton, the stylist has an emergency. So can you style the show on your own? 
What? And I was like, sure I can. <laughs> I, never, I, mean, so, I mean, I knew how to pull clothes and all of that, but I never did an in-store 36 look. Oh with my God. Fashion show with full uh, on gowns and headpieces. And I never did all of that by myself. No assistant. It took me like 15 hours to pull that. Of course, show. of course. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> but you know what? And I'll never forget. Uh, her name is Kathy Young. Uh, we're friends to this day. She said, so she was doing the commentary and she was very melodic how she spoke. And she says, Carlton, where's your run of show? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. What is a runner show? I never heard of a runner show, that terminology before. Yeah. So she goes, Oh, that's okay. So she literally, so I literally I what I did was there were three scenes and I li- and there were like probably eight or nine models. I did one through nine, scene one, one through nine, scene two, one. No, that's not how you do a runner show. A runner show is one through to the last look. That's what a runner show is. I, did anyone tell me that? No. And what does that look like? Like, is it is is it numbered? Like, do you have the models? Like, what? Oh, like, what it is? Okay, so the look you actually have. So, North. Okay. I, I'm I'm doing this for the audience for the it's folks who good. may not know. It's all good. So, <laughs> when you're doing a runway show, you have uh you 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 each model. If there's three scenes, then uh model number one, you would have look one. And then you'd she'd probably be look nine and then look number. If there's like, say, nine models. So she'd be look, I'm sorry, she'd be look one, look 10 and look 21 if, if I'm if I'm speaking correctly. Right. So that allows the models enough time to change. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the reason why you do it that way is so that you get you don't you don't you don't number each scene one through nine, one through nine, one through nine. It's a running order okay for that reason so that the models know where they are and they have time to change um do you have descriptions of the clothes like how do you know what each person is wearing what is that at these jobs so kathy would go through just make little notes on the looks and then she did the commentary gone are the days where they do fashion show with commentary but that's i was that's what i was used to um and so, yeah, after I did that show, got really good feedback. Mind you, I was still working at Brooks Brothers wow. at the time. So I took, you know, the day off or days off to do it. Maybe two days, I think I took off or something, sick days or whatever. And when I did that show, that is when I knew I wanted to be a stylist. I was like, wow. no, this is what I want to do. I don't care. About a month later, I quit my job. <gasps> I quit my job. Like, like, did you have anything lined up? Like, no, I drove to Westchester that day. The sales manager pissed me off. I remember I was doing my hours in the office. I was recording my hours for the week. He goes, Carlton, you're supposed to do that at home. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't report to you. I report to the visual manager and that's not who you, and you're not her. So anyway, he walked out of the office and God spoke to me. I promise. How did you know? How do I know it was God? Oh, yes. I knew it was the voice of God because the maybe a week prior or a month prior, um, uh, Bishop-elect Neil Harris had preached a, a sermon saying, do not equate yourself to a paycheck. You're bigger than a paycheck. Wow. And are you, are you minimizing God to a paycheck? And I said, to, and, and God spoke to me, he goes, so how much more are you going to take? 
And I spoke to him and I'm like, I am over. I really can't take anymore. I'm frustrated. I was almost in tears. I was just ready to go. He goes, so leave. And I said, today? He goes, yes. (laughs) If I leave today, I don't have another job. I won't be able to collect unemployment. You're going to have to carry me. You're going to have to provide for me because if I quit my job, you're going to have to, then that means that you are going to take care of me. I quit my job. I said, I said, you know what? I I called, his name was Richard. I said, Richard, I called him back in office. I said, I think today's my last day. I said, actually, today's my last day. I quit. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to walk outside. I need, I need like a breath of fresh air or something. And I walked the mall and I came back and that was it. Wow. On my way home, I called one of my best friends. I was like, guess what? I finally quit. And then when I got home, I called, her name was Lisa Walker. I called her and I said, Lisa, this was the, the, the director of Herald Square events. And I said, at the time, I said, well, I just quit my job. I really want to be a stylist. If you have availability, I'm available. She calls me the next day. She says, Carlton, I have you on speaker with like my, my uh, colleagues and we have four shows lined up. for you. Stop it right yep. now. Yep. I promise you that is how my career began as a stylist. I mean, it, it, it took so much faith uh-huh. to do that. You know, mm-hmm. what, what was your, spiritual life like leading up to that to where you were open to hearing the voice and then acting on faith i had never up to that point heard and this is for for everyone you know Mm -hmm. faith is for everyone you know everyone you have to believe in yourself i knew number one that i could dress my ass off (laughs) I got best dressed in high school. I was always very confident. My clothes were always my calling card. I was always very, I carried myself in such a way that clothes were my armor, if you will. Yeah. Right. Um, But to get back to the faith part, I knew in that moment when I quit my job, my heart was beating. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I've never did, I never did anything like that. You know, Black people don't quit jobs like that. We don't do that. College we don't do that. To pay. I, and, and I also <laughs> I was going to get unemployment, but I yeah. also knew that I was going to do whatever I had to do to become a stylist because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I knew that I would not be happy until I did it. Wow. And so, uh, once I started working with Macy's doing in-store events, I mean, I I was making good money. I mean, I was doing six, seven in-store events a month in the branch wow. stores and in Herald Square. <clears throat> and then I picked up other accounts. I picked up Bloomingdale's. I started working with Nordstrom's fashion office. I worked with Americana Manhasset's fashion office. Wow. So I was, I, I was, I was really the the bulk of my experience came from styling in-store fashion events for those retailers. Wow. And stores and traveling with them. Um, I met a woman uh, named Pamela Watson, who Lisa introduced me to at the time. She was styling, oh, I don't even know I want to say his name, R. Kelly at the time. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all right, Pamela. It's all yeah. right, girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. We did three videos. We did Thoya Thoying. We did Step in the Name of Love. Uh, and that was where I wow. got my experience 
working with showrooms. How interesting. Wow. Because at the time, remember, all of my experience was still just styling in-store events for Macy's. I I didn't have any experience um, interacting with showrooms and or writing a letter of responsibility. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it was like being on set uh, on a video shoot. So I learned so much traveling. We, I mean, we did the BET Awards. We did all these award shows. It was, that experience was the best training ground I could have ever received. Wow. Um, I stayed with her for about, I worked with her for about 16 months. You know, months. We, we have to pause really quick because, you know, pulling from showrooms, that is sort of like a different, mm-hmm. a different, uh, a completely different completely. way of styling. What were some of the lessons that you learned as you were doing that, especially as you're dealing with different showrooms? And like how like how does that process work for those well, who may not know? What I learned is that A, you always have to look the part, even if you're doing returns, always look the part. What is a return? Oh, okay. I know so, I have to <laughs> like not so everyone cool. knows. We have listeners in Alaska. Yes. What up, Papa? All West? right. So <laughs> I'll just do this as an example. So so Step in the Name of Love was a huge video. If you remember, it was on it was on a yacht. Um, there were like a lot of dancers. There were like, I don't know, 60, 70 dancers. Um, and then you had the main, you know, so not only did did she, she was all, she always styled R. Kelly. Yeah. We like styled the extras or the yeah. dancers and stuff. So um, I remember it was, it was like three assistants. She had like three, three or four assistants. Um, and at the time, they, we called them body bags. There were these huge trunks with wheels that were literally like almost six feet. They were probably like five feet tall. And um, when you came back from, because I remember that was shot in Chicago. When we came back, mm-hmm. all those clothes had to be returned. Sometimes if we got, if we returned to New York, like say at like 1 p.m., we literally would start doing returns that day. Wow. And so it was hard work. But what is a return? A return is when you borrow garments from a showroom, right? Uh, sample garments. And you borrow them for a certain period of time. Normally, they give you maybe three to five days to borrow them. No longer than that. And I mean, it- some people don't adhere to those guidelines, yeah. but I'm grateful that you always did. I was always, <laughs> I, yes. It's so important because that's how yeah. you build trust and say, you know, things happen. If, 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 if something gets spilled on a sample, you dry clean it, but you just be, you're very upfront with the, sh- the showroom and say, listen, I had to put up a, a piece in the dry cleaners and, do you want me to return everything or do you want me to wait? And you just communicate. So I learned that communication is very important in order to build trust. And you return the clothes in the condition that you borrowed them. And that's something that Pamela did not play. And that's why I was the way I was when I started with pulling with you at Lord and oh, Taylor. You were, uh, you were impeccable. I, I was like, Carlton, borrow whenever. Because exactly. he is going to bring it back on time. Right. In right. a wonderful condition. You're yeah. one of the best. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a <much>. plus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So um, Pamela also, uh, she gave me my the, the opportunity to style my very first album cover. And the and the client was Keith Wonder, the artist, I should say, was Keith Wonderboy Johnson. He sings wow. quartet music. And he actually he actually just sang on Ricky Diller's last album as well. And he and I actually had a conversation 
Uh, yes, we had a conversation about a month ago. And he said, you don't realize, but you were at the top of your game. You were highly sought out in the gospel music industry then. Wait, how, how, how did you even get connected to the gospel industry before that? Because well, you- that's the thing. So Pamela, she was, she was supposed to do that cover. She hmm. gave it to me. Wow. That's how I got, that's how I got my break. And wow. uh, that was my very first album cover that I styled on my own. Wow. Okay, and and from there led Byron Cage, Dietrich Haddon, Hezekiah Walker, Shirley Caesar. Oh my God, what was it like dressing <laughs> Shirley Caesar? I love me some Shirley Caesar. So let's just say she <laughs> loves Saint John. She loves ah, Saint she John. Would. And I had to bring Saint John to the set, but I didn't have a Saint John budget. Uh, <laughs> so what did you do? <laughs> oh, so I have, and I still have to this day, an American Express gold card. I charged it. Yeah, but I was like, what was I thinking? Because if anything happened to it, it would have been on me. Yeah. So, but it's, I mean, it's Shirley, you know, Shirley. It's, it's, of course, I wanted to have key pieces. A legend. Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember pr- um, pulling Terry John and we ended up shooting her in this Terry John beautiful oh, yeah. two-piece mm-hmm. suit, which I thought was appropriate. Perfect. Um, for her. And, um, you know, I, I have to ask really quickly though, I think that sometimes when people think of gospel artists, mm -hmm. you know, they may not connect fashion to it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, like, is it important or, you know, like, I, I, I think that, you know, initially maybe people would automatically connect like Mary Mary since, you know, Mm -hmm. they had that, that big hit shackles and, Mm -hmm. you know, they were talking about Gucci and, you know, all these other labels in their songs. Mm -hmm. But I think overall for gospel, people don't always make the connection to the importance and, and the significance of fashion and gospel music. Fashion is huge in gospel music. Uh, they have an award show called the Stella Awards, uh, which is equivalent to the Grammys mm-hmm. in the gospel music industry. Uh, and so I had the opportunity to attend several uh, Stella Awards in the past, styling artists for not only the red carpet, for also their performances as well. Uh, and a lot of times I would get things custom made for the men, particularly Byron Cage, I styled him as well in the past. Uh, and I currently style Ricky Dillard. But to, I say that to say that gospel, so you would think because it's gospel music that there's a certain standard, right? You want mm-hmm. the artist to look a certain way. But just because you're singing gospel doesn't mean that you have to be, as a woman, wearing a blouse buttoned up to the top. Oh, Lord, now in a, in, in a, a dress with the hemline all the way down to your ankles. That I mean, you know, there are some churches that have very strict rules, you know, right. and, and that's okay, y'all. We're not, we're not, you know, no, pointing not, any I'm, fingers, but right. we're saying there is a space. There, there is, is a, a space, space for creativity. For creativity. There's a space for creativity because gospel artists are artists and you're and as a stylist you're creating their image and so for me i i'm big on color and i'm big on mixing prints patterns and textures and and i styled a plethora of men i got i was well known for just styling male artists and the way i would introduce color to them was by way of pocket squares or by you know maybe 
dressing a man in a suit with a striped shirt and a paisley top, like just and those blazers that you would pull. Like Byron was wearing like some, I think it was like a brocade, like gold Mm -hmm. and black situation. And I was like, well, okay, okay, Carlton, Mm -hmm. I see you. Yeah. So, (laughs) but it's also as a stylist, you have to listen to the artist and mm. enhance their personal style, enhance mm. who they are, not change who they are, but just enhance who they are. Because if you're putting something on them that they're not comfortable in, they'll let you know. And so uh, I learned that early on that it's not about me. It's not about what I like. It's mm. about honing in onto what I think the artist is going to like and what I think that is going to make that artist look look their best. Right. Yeah. Um, How do you make that balance between like something that they may be comfortable with, you know, and then presenting something that might push the boundary a little bit or, or like you mentioned, well, enhance, like, how do you I'll, paint that picture for them? Well, I'll, okay. I'll use Ricky Dillard as an example, because I've been styling Ricky now for 10 years. Wow. Okay. Um, and when I first met Ricky, Ricky's from Chicago. And if you look at any of Ricky's album covers prior to me styling him and this is no um criticism to ricky but at the time big oversized suits were in yeah okay and uh chicago had a certain style r kelly's from chicago r R. kelly was known for his gaiters he would wear his gaiters with like the you know this almost zoot suit looking yeah and that was just his style so i say that to say Ricky had a very similar style wearing wearing really boxy uh, clothing. And I felt like it didn't complement his body type because Ricky is very slim. And I had a conversation with him. I was like, I'm not going to dress you that way. I'm going to make, I I feel that that you, I feel that that's not modern. And I feel that when you wear clothes that fit your body, it actually looks cleaner. Um, And so if you look at Ricky now, it's a complete 180. Wow. Even his personal style, I feel, has changed because I started work with him. He has a great sense of style on his own anyway, which I love about him. He'll wear anything. That's why I love um, styling Ricky. But I should say the way he tapers his clothes to fit his body now, he started doing that after I worked with him, after I started working. How important is that? Is that important? And for people like tailoring, like for people who you know, are just, you know, wearing everyday clothes, like what, what can you do to ensure that you get the tailoring done? Like, where do you go? You asked me if tailoring is important. It's it's important for men and women, particularly men. Why? Because whenever you buy anything off the rack, it never fits your body perfectly. Like say, for example, I'm a 40, 40, 42 regular jacket, um, a 34 waist, 32 inseam. Like I know my measurements, right? So if I go to a store and buy a jacket, it may fit me, but I still need to bring it to a tailor so that they they can tailor it to my body. Yeah. Everyone's body is different. I may, some men may be, have broad shoulders. Some may, men may have a little gut. Like everyone's body is different. So you have to adjust for those nuances, Right. And that's why you go to a tailor, because if you don't, then it's just not going to fit properly and it's going to look sloppy. And I've seen so many men, the, the, the sleeve length is too long or the pant, they didn't bother to get the pants hemmed. And there it's like, you have this 
excess fabric at the bottom and it just does not look good. And so tailoring is essential. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, one of my friends, um, who's a designer, he would always say like, no matter what, like, even if you got something from target, he would Mm -hmm. get it tailored. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, it, it depends on the cost too. Cause sometimes yeah. if you're buying from target, then the tailoring cost probably costs more than you paid for it. So. Well, you know, he was saying like, it just looks more expensive. Like it, it just fits better. It just helps your overall look. And I had never thought about that. It does. And, and even it does. dry cleaning some of the, the it's, I, I don't know if this is true or not. And you can um, maybe correct me if it's not mm-hmm. true, but he also mentioned uh, dry cleaning, like the cheaper clothes, like actually extends the life more so than, than others. Is that true? Here's the thing about dry cleaning um, that a lot of people don't know. Um, for men, you only have to dry clean your suits a few times a year. Like unless you... Really? Clothes, yeah, you do not dry clean your... Like I, back in the day, I was dry cleaning my clothes way too frequently. Wow. And, and actually the solvents that they use will actually break down the fiber. Wow. So men, if you're wearing a, a worsted wool suit, which is a year round wool, you do you only have to dry clean that suit like once or twice a year. And what you do is that you you alternate how you wear your clothes so that you allow the fabric to breathe, you allow the fabric to air out, you sometimes invest in a fabric brush to brush the dust off. You never store your clothes in those plastic bags because it is a fiber and it needs to breathe. Wow. And so, Unless you spilled something on the garment, you do not have to dry clean your garments that often. So do you press it? Like how, like if there's wrinkles, like what do you do? I use a steamer. I have a, I have an industrial steam. I have like a real steamer in my bedroom that I steam everything. Yeah. I have a handheld. I don't even like, I don't even have an iron. (laughs) I have an iron, but I, the only thing I see him everything. I'm like, Shh, yeah, the, it's so much boys' quicker. clothes and everything. I'm like, come so on, much guys. Better. It's so much quicker. <laughs> Unless I have like a dress shirt that I really right. like iron. Yeah, start to that. I, I, I really don't really iron anymore. I use a steamer. I actually need an iron. Ah. Yeah. But the steamer's good. Yeah, the steamer's <laughs> great. So yeah. Well, that is so funny. So you are a professor. Mm hmm. How did you transition into teaching? Like, was that something that you always wanted to do? Like, how did that opportunity come up for you? Well, first and foremost, I consider myself an entrepreneur. Okay. Mm -hmm. As a stylist, I was running my own business. I was, I had to, I had to become, I had to file paperwork to become an LLC. So Style Evolution is an official LLC. Um, And it taught me how to run a business, how to manage my money. Uh, so in, yeah. To answer your question as to how I became a professor, as an entrepreneur, I'm always looking at new ways to make money. And I used to always equiv- equivocate a new opportunity as making more money, right? Mm, so uh, a colleague of mine, was teaching at the college and they had a high school summer fashion lab, which was a program where professors would, students would come in from all over the country. We had a dormitory where they could stay Uh in New York for the courses were a week long. Wow. Uh, And you basically, what you would teach during the semester, you would, you would compress it and teach that same course for non-credit 
within those five days. So I was like, he's like, would you like to teach a styling class and looking for people? I was like, oh, that should be fun. Little did I know that I had to write my own curriculum and, and, and come up with it. I mean, I thought that they wow. were give it to me and I would execute it. No, you have to write your own curriculum as a professor. You write your own syllabus. Okay. Wow. And so I did that, but the high school kids, they were so inquisitive. And so I just fell in love with them um, and fell in love with teaching. And I said, wow, this is a lot of fun. Maybe I can do this during the semester. So I interviewed and I, and I got a job as an adjunct and this makes my ninth year. Wow. Um, Congratulations. That's major. Thank you. And I'm teaching I teach styling. I teach all three levels of styling. I teach event planning. I teach internship. I teach all these different classes. I'm the faculty advisor for the styling club. I'm one of the faculty advisors for our annual fashion show. And and where are you teaching? LIM College, Laboratory Institute of Merchandising. I love it. Private school, private college in New York City. I love it. What What is one of the biggest lessons you've learned from your students? One of the biggest lessons that I've learned from my students is to listen Mm. to them, uh, to really listen to their questions, because a lot of times I feel professors feel that they're the expert and that, you know, we're there to teach them, which is true. But the students, you can also learn from them as well. It's a two way. It's a reciprocal process. Wow. And that's what I've learned to listen to questions, to really listen. I've learned to become a better listener. Wow. As a professor, not just being a, a, a an instructor or a teacher, but also to listen. That's very important. What advice do you have for, you know, young people who want to break into the fashion industry? Like what would you have wanted to hear Uh, when you were younger at that age? If I had a mentor Mm -hmm. at a very early age, that would have helped me tremendously. Uh, And that is the advice that I give to any young person wanting to go into fashion is find a mentor. But see, they have it so, it's so much easier now because of IG, because of social media. The internet, yeah. Because of the internet. So you can go on IG and, and, and see a fashion stylist and inbox them and say, hey, do you need an intern? We didn't. I I was sending mail like letters. Yeah. Hi, I would like an internship one day. What do I do? (laughs) So finding a mentor is, 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 is my advice. Um, Finding someone in your industry or that you aspire to be and, 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 and shadow them. I love that. I became that's how I became a stylist by, by shadowing Pamela and and learning from her and eventually being able to do it on my own. I love it. So I'm going to you know, I'm going to bring it back a little bit. Um, who are some of your favorite, like go-to designers? Uh, Cause your, your closet <laughs> is, I mean, you guys, every time Carlton, steps out the door. I mean, even now he's inside. He's always impeccably dressed from head to toe. So who are your go-tos? Who are my go-tos? See, it's like, I, 
I'm somewhat impulsive as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a shopper. Like if I see something, if I see a piece, I'm like, if it'll stop me dead in my tracks, I'll be like, I need that in my life. I have to have that. But in terms of men, in terms of men's wear designers, I have so many different designers in my closet. I don't just, I don't just have one favorite designer, but if I was to say, uh, a designer whose aesthetic that I that I admire and that I like would be YSL. Why? Wow. Because they always remain clean and classic and, and they always remain true to their brands. I I I love Gucci, but I love Gucci's footwear. Like I love mm-hmm. their sneak, I have a lot of their sneakers and in, in their shoes, which Gucci is known for. Yeah. I feel like their aesthetic now is almost it's very vintage inspired it's very um uh, it's all about textures and patterns and all that stuff and i'm i'm not i don't really dress busy like that yeah you will i'm very clean so my aesthetic has always been clean so i would say ysl uh i would say um hmm I know there's so many. You're like, there's so many. Well, where do you shop? Like, do you shop online? Do you shop at like what what stores are you into? For example, like like for for men's suits, again, it's very hard for a man to find like a suit with like pattern and texture. Yeah. When I say pattern, I'm talking about like tweeds and so suit supply filled that void for me. I think they do an amazing job at a great price point. So I love them. Um, in terms of men's suits, uh, because again, I'm a seasoned shopper. I'm not, could I spend $4,000 on a suit? Yes. Do I have to? Absolutely not. I found that if I, sh- like when Century 21 was here, oh my goodness. I could get amazing pieces at Century 21 and get it altered and tailored. And it, and I would have it for the next 10, 15 yeah. years. And there are some pieces in my closet that I've had that long. Thank wow. God I'm the same size. <laughs> I know after having kids, I'm like, well, I had to get rid of my whole wardrobe. Yeah. I was like, here you go, here you go, here you, you go. You look great too, though. You look great. Oh, but, thank you. But I say that to say that um I, I don't just have like just one particular designer, but I, I I love suit supply. I love uh Gucci for their shoes and their footwear. Yeah. Uh I mean, I just have so many different labels and designers in my closet. It's become I I I, I call my my wardrobe curated because I literally yeah. have curated my wardrobe over a period of time. I have, and I really take care of my pieces. Like I was wearing Yoji Yamamoto to church and they I love it. it was <laughs> like, there's a lot of times I would wear pieces to church or, or wherever. I mean, why not? Why not? And you know, why what not? you know what I've learned during this pandemic? Hmm. What are you saving your clothes for? There's no such thing that's so getting to the Cape, mm-hmm. getting yeah, we're getting to the cape. <laughs> I got that cape custom made by there's a designer, 5001 Flavors. They own Harlan Haberdashery, the boutique. Oh, uh, yes. That that cape was made about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago, maybe eight years ago. Um, and this is for I Easter did, Sunday, y'all. He had it made. It was for Easter Sunday, but this was the trade off. I did a fashion show with them. It was called Cold Purple. Um, and it was on the Intrepid. So by, because I helped them with the show, they didn't pay me in cash, but he said, you can, we'll make a custom look for you. I bought the fabric. So he made, I bought this beautiful powder blue tweed fabric that was 
to die for. It looked like Chanel. And I yes. bought this cashmere uh, camel fabric with this orange lining and that's and it was a double-breasted cape and it was actually Dolce & Gabbana. It, it was an exact, an exact replica of Dolce & Gabbana. And when I wore that, people were like, and this is way before men were wearing capes, by the way. Uh, yes. Like nine years ago. When I, I when I saw that, I was like, through the and right? I had fedora. To I remember it. I, <laughs> you showed me the footage. I said, "Excuse me." Yeah. So I knew when they when they did offering, I was like, "What?" So what went down? Well, I didn't wear the cape. The cape was just an uh, was just like my. I didn't wear it like that. Was just my entrance and my exit. Of yeah. course, I didn't have it on the entire time. Of course. But I will say that to say <laughs> I went to the Americana Manhasset uh, about two months ago, two or three months ago to visit a friend of mine that works for Hirschleifers. And I said to myself, you know what? I never wear this cape casually. I always wear it with a suit. Why, why don't I wear it casually? So I put on a hoodie. I put on some ripped up jeans. I put on some Gucci sneakers and I put the cape on and I put some sunglasses on. And when I tell you I was in line at Hirschleifers and people were like, <laughs> trying to figure out who I was, but the, I, I told them that I was here to see who, who I was there to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said to me, she says, Carlton, you have no idea. Not only was the manager, the security manager, and someone else kept saying, you have an important visitor. You have an important visitor. And she, she came and she saw me. She was like, oh, my God, you <laughs> look like money. And so I, I cannot. And so I, I, I say that to say, if you have the pieces in your wardrobe, Wear them. What do you say? Unless it's an evening gown, think of different ways to wear your clothes because guess what? What are you saving it for? Hmm. What I've learned during this pandemic, Kirsten, is that life isn't promised. I'm not going to preach, but life isn't promised. And you know what? Like, I don't like that is why when I leave my house, I look the part wherever I'm going. I don't care if it's to the corner store. I throw some really doesn't, y'all. Matches. I really <laughs> yeah. do because. That's, I just feel that that's become my, my wardrobe and my clothes are part of who I am. It is. It's part of my identity. And I take yeah. pride in that. And it's open doors for me. And anyone who knows me knows that about me. You understand? Um, and I love it. Too. Of that course. Comes. It happens. It and happens. And happens. Dare to be. Dare, Dare to be. But you know, before before we wrap up, I uh-huh. have to ask you the question. I, I always think it's so great how you have styled all different kinds of bodies throughout your career, mm-hmm. even when it was not traditionally accepted in the fashion industry as it is right. now, especially yeah. black bodies. Um, yes. you know, for for proms and and you know fashion shows for the young ones, you have always extended yourself beyond sort of the more industry focused events and, and, and people. Absolutely. I I feel everything that I've done, everything that I've done was always prepared me for what's next Hmm. always. And when I think back on all of the shows that I've done and styled at the department store level, 
petite shows with uh petite shows with with Jones New York. I mean, all these brands yeah. are no longer. Uh these her events, which were plus size shows with Clinton Kelly traveling. Oh, yes, Clinton. Yes, he's so Kelly. nice. I would, you know, so he, you know, I learned a lot from him on how to dress a plus size woman, um, dressing children, prom events. So saying all that, I say all that to say that at LIM College, when I, when I, when I went to their, my very first fashion show with them, uh, which was, wow, nine years ago, um, I was like, this isn't how it's supposed to be done. I, I can really bring... I can really teach them how it's really supposed to be done. Uh-huh. And myself and Terrence Coffee, we came in and we completely brought the production level of their annual show, like here. Uh-huh. And uh, so to the point now where they mar- they now market it on their website, like 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 it's the it's the first event that the accepted students see. So it's such an important event. But I say that to say, if I did not know how to dress all those different bodies, how could I, what I love about our show is that it's all inclusive. We're not all, they're student models. They're just not, they're not all 5'11 or 5'9 in a size 2'4. No, 5'2. Okay. Some, uh, you know, so you're dressing all different bodies. And if I did not know how to do that, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have prepared me to do that to teach my students how to do that. You understand? I think that question is amazing, Kirsten, because it made me realize that all the experience that I had was preparation for what's next. And I'm still not done because I consider myself a creative director now. Uh, Yes. Because I've also worked with with smaller brands and hired the photographer, the makeup artist, the hairstylist. That is what's next for me. Um, I want to collaborate with brands because I know I bring a certain aesthetic to the table and I know I can take brands to the next level because of that aesthetic. And that is what I'm going to do next. And you definitely always present the part and and do the work. You you do great work and it doesn't matter how big or small the project is, how how you know, quote unquote important the person is in the society, you always give your all. That's it. Yeah, because you always give them first class service. Um I again we all deserve just, fashion. I, we all deserve good fashion and style. Did. Why and not? I, I had great teachers. I had great mentors and great teachers. That and and um I can attribute I can attribute my success in part to them. And I always pay homage to who taught me and who mm. came before me. And you know, I'm a man of a certain age. I'm 54 years old. I'm you look not- Y'all, I'm telling you. My birthday, August 5th. And I say that. Ah, I can't with you. I'm not trying to schlep. (laughs) (laughs) No, there is a time when the schlepping stops. Okay. It just stops. And I'm like, I look at these styles and I was like, been there, done that in my 30s and 40s. I I got into styling late. I was like 36 years old. So I started late in the game. But it's never too late. It's never too And it late. gets greater later, as, exactly. as Bevy would say. Exactly. Yes. And so, 
you're constantly evolving. Like yeah. I have my own online jewelry business now that I've been mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I have a live at 430 that I have to for. <laughs> um, yes. But I just say that you're constantly evolving. Yeah. And just be open to new opportunities. I never thought I'd be selling costume jewelry, $5 costume jewelry. I was like, oh my God, $5, my brand. All I kept thinking is this is going to cheapen my brand. It's going to cheapen my brand. Can I tell you how many people have come, has said that what a light I am at 4.30 on Fridays that they look forward to watching because not only am I selling jewelry, but I educate them and um, and we're, and I, and it's fun. And it's, it's, it's like QVC. So I say that to say. QVC is so fun. So addictive. Always, (laughs) you never know who's watching. Wow. You never know who you're inspiring, even when you're not trying to inspire. Even my health journey, like I gained, everyone gained the COVID-20 or the COVID-20. I know. <laughs> I gained a good 15, yeah. a good solid 15, almost 20 pounds. It's either a plus or minus for exactly. most. <laughs> <And at> the, <laughs> okay. Some and, people, I was like, dang, like, were you doing like a hundred pushups like every day in your apartment? Summer, <laughs> I said to myself. So you got to lose. I said to myself, I have to lose this weight because again, it's all about my clothes. I was like, I can't fit into my summer clothes. This is unacceptable. And, and it's so not like, it, it's, it's not like a, Oh, like the size is terrible. It's more of a, a monetary situation at this part. point. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a good, at least like a good million or so. Okay. Oh my God. I would have put a, a major loss. I should have my stuff so, in short. Seriously speaking. No, Seriously. I know. I know. I've seen you. Um, I've seen you come into the office. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, I always ask all of the guests on a fashion moment to, um, you know, think about and, and share with us one of your favorite fashion moments of all time. It could be personal, professional or both, or something you witnessed, but something that was just so magical that you were just like, ah, this is fashion. Like, this is, this is it. I'm sure there's so many, but like, I know, I know. Pick one, Carlton, pick one. Uh, Okay. Aside from Ebony Fashion Fair, that was like, you know, indelible impression. Um, or even one where you're just like, oh my God, like okay. I'm oh. a stylist. <laughs> There's so many. I know. Okay. 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 So Jonathan McReynolds is an award. He's a Grammy award winning gospel artist. And at the time when I was styling him, he uh, was nominated. He was a Grammy award nominated artist. Now he's a Grammy award winning artist. Mm. But I remember styling him for the celebration of gospel with India Irie. Oh, wow. And when I had a car pick me up from, see, this is the thing, like budgets in the gospel music industry were never, at, it was, are different from budgets in R&B. It just is. Yeah. And so when I had that Suburban come to pick me up at my hotel to bring me to the venue, I was like, I arrived at that moment, <laughs> sitting in that car by myself. I said, you know what? This feels good. Like, this is kind of amazing. Like, this is the, this is when you think of a celebrity stylist, that's what I would think of being picked up in a suburban, dropped off at the venue, 
to work with your client. You understand? And being on the red carpet with him, that was a, a full wow. for me because that didn't always happen. Okay. Um, and one, another thing I want to say about styling, it's not just about being a celebrity stylist. There are so many different, uh, there's, there's just so many different, uh, elements in terms mm-hmm. of, of styling, uh, styling for in-store events, for me, yeah. for department stores, styling, uh, runway shows, uh, you know, it's it's not just styling a celebrity. And I think a lot of these, a lot of young people coming up, they look at IG and they feel like if you're not a celebrity stylist, you haven't made it. And right. Like true. you're no one. Yeah. No one. And that's not true. You could do catalog styling. You know, um, there's three main uh, specialties of styling. There's there's uh, print and entertain. There's print. Mm-hmm. There's the entertainment industry and there's image management. Because come on, with the professor. Because now I'm talking with my professor hat on. But I say yeah. that today that there's personal shopping. There's so many different ways to be a stylist. It's not just celebrity styling. So I had to get that out of my head too, and mm. I also had to really give myself credit for all of the work that I've done. The book is coming. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah, book is coming because I feel that I have a voice and I feel that I have a story to tell. And I feel that someone is going to be inspired after they hear my story because it was not easy, Kirsten, getting here. <sighs> it was not an easy journey at all. No. I, I didn't have agency representation. Yeah. So I had to fight for every penny that I made. Uh, sometimes, sometimes being shortchanged, sometimes you know, not really knowing how to negotiate my rates properly, mm-hmm. uh, being taken advantage of. Yeah. Unfortunately. But I still have an amazing body of work to say I have 17 album covers under my belt. And, and you know, I, I have to ask you, Carlton, what is a what is a gospel song that is near and dear and close to your heart? One that helps you get through some of these difficult times. Oh. For Every Mountain, Kurt Carr, by far, one of my favorite gospel songs. Brings tears to my eyes every time I listen to it. Um, it says, you know, for every mountain, you brought me over. For every mountain, you see me through. Uh, yes, it's like, it just makes me think about where I've come from, where I've where I've been and where I am now and had, and how God has always been there for me and how important it was and is for me to always put him first, always and to always, uh, whether I'm at work, just always being that light, always letting mm-hmm. your light show through. When you were at Lord and Taylor, a lot of times we'd have conversations I'd end up preaching and I did not preaching, <laughs> but tes- testifying, if you will. Yeah, testimonial. Yeah, testimony <laughs> service <laughs> happening <laughs> in the fashion office. In the fashion office. <laughs> And God uh, is everywhere, y'all. He's everywhere. And I've learned that listen, like mm-hmm. people, you you just never know who's watching. You never know whose life you're gonna touch. Just be a light. Like I meditate now. I just do so many things differently. This pandemic has changed the it's it's life-changing. Yeah. If you it's been almost what? 16, 17, maybe 18 months later, and we're yeah. still wearing masks. We're still social distancing. We're still 
not being able to to hug and touch like we like we used to. So I say yeah. that to say that um, be a light, be true to yourself, um, and just. I stay as far away from negativity and negative people as I can, Kirsten. I really do. And I just try to be kind. Yeah. I know we live in New York City, but it doesn't hurt to smile. I know you can't speak to people on the street. They think you're crazy. That is true. Just be a (laughs) light. Been there, done that. (laughs) Yeah, just been there, done that. Just just be a light. Yeah. And that, folks, is the gospel according to to Carlton. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, it, this was a pleasure. This has been, it's been a long time coming too. So. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of a fashion moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.